And as you're seated this morning, I would invite you to turn to Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. Uh, This morning, we're going to reflect on how important it is and also how difficult it can be to be sensitive listeners to God and to the people around us. And to get at why that's so important and what I mean by sensitive listening, let me sort of begin by asking you a question. Why did people like around Jesus? Well, isn't part of the reason because Jesus listened to them? And he was clearly sensitive, right? He paid close attention to what they said, their words, to their tone, to their emotion, to their present context, to their history, which of course he knew fully as God, but also he paid attention to the future life that he wanted with them. And then he would talk to them using whatever part of his word was most helpful to them to move them toward that future that he desired for them based on all of that context. And that kind of listening is part of what it, the Bible means when it says that Jesus is holy. Because holiness is just a word that describes the way God relates to us and to all of creation and even to himself. Love, justice, mercy, grace, those are all part of holiness because those all describe the various facets of God's relationship to us. And since listening is a part of every relationship, Listening well is therefore a part of this, and since growing in holiness is central to the Christian life, that means that growing in the art of listening sensitively the Christian life too, which is why we're in Numbers 20. Uh, because in Numbers 20 this morning, we're going to see Moses's holiness break down, and God is going to tell him that. He's going to say, you failed to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people. And the reason for that failure, which we're going to explore this morning, is Moses' failure to be a sensitive listener. You should also know as we read that Numbers 20 begins with a personal tragedy. Moses' sister, Miriam, dies. And then after that death, Israel appears to do what she's done throughout Numbers, which is burden God and Moses with their complaints. We're going to talk about that. And then, who I think is clearly worn down by his past interactions with the people and weighed down by his own personal loss, respond, anger, and bitterness, and maybe even some self-righteousness too. And the result is that God decides it's time to remove Moses, which I think is both a judgment and a gift. We'll talk about that. And in a time when we all are weighed down emotionally and spiritually and mentally and in a context where people might be wearing us down, I think we actually have before us a tremendous opportunity. We can use this time to prayerfully grow in the art of sensitive listening, both to the people who are actually talking to us and to Jesus who's speaking to us in his word which would then make us even better ambassadors for Jesus, as Paul talked about in our meditation verse this morning. Or we... Now, there's redemptive grace for screw-ups. Praise God, right? That's what the cross is all about. Uh, But I do think Numbers 20 is like a warning that can help us to avoid blowing it. 
It can help alert us to the kinds of situations where we need that our emotional, that we have an emotional and spiritual vulnerability that makes us particularly prone to responding poorly and then take careful action to prepare ourselves to listen sensitively in situations where we are not going to instinctively respond that way. It's a warning to help us listen with grace to those who are talking in obedience to God's word in a context where that's going to be difficult. So to help us do that, we're going to read through Numbers 20, 1 through 3, and we're going to reflect under it under these four points. The people's quarrel, God's response, Moses' response, and God's judgment. I snuck an extra point in there. And then finally, what can go wrong? So the people's quarrel, God's response, Moses' response and God's judgment, and then finally, what can go wrong? Uh, so let's hear now God's word from Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, and then we'll pray and we'll begin reflecting together. Let's hear God's word. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. No water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, We had perished with our bro- when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our... And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. There is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give, them, give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And the staff from before the Lord, as he commanded him, but then... Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel... Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let us pray. O Lord, as we meditate on your word, please make us to be both hearers and doers of your word. Let us hear it and receive it with faith that through it and your spirit, we ask that you would transform us into the image of your son. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and the meditation of our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word be pleasing now in your sight. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the people's quarrel. So if you're like me, when you first heard these first few verses of this chapter, you thought a lot like Israel kind of always sounds in Numbers. And I think that's intentional on God's part. There's a lot that Israel says here that makes it sound like the same old complaining, the same old blaming, the same old accusations. 
But when you get to God's response, something suddenly doesn't feel right. So usually in Numbers, when Israel complains, God gets angry because their complaints are totally illegitimate. God frees them from a living death in Egypt, and not a week later, they accuse God of bringing them out into the wilderness to kill them. God conquers the mightiest army of their day easily, and then Israel says that God can't keep them safe from small tribal armies. God provides them with food and water in the wilderness, but then Israel complains that the food isn't good enough, right? So their complaints are usually either accusations against God's character or a thankless demand for better gifts, right? I can't trust you, and could I have a better pie, please? It's not good enough. Um, and just to be clear, by they, I also mean us. Most of my complaints against God are because I, God's past actions of faithfulness are not really representative of Jesus' faithful character. Or because I'm being ungrateful and selfish. Uh, so with that kind of history then, hearing these words, you would expect this to follow the pattern. Israel complains, God get, gets angry, but God... And that's the kind of thing that should make us read the chapter a second time, or even a third or fourth or a fifth time. And in those, re you would notice, I, I didn't notice this, a commentator pointed me out when I finally started reading some commentators on this. Uh, you would notice in verse 2 that we're told, now there was no water for the congregation. So the narrator, Jesus, is telling us that Israel legitimately did not so when Israel cries out to Moses and to God, the main point of their cry is actually correct. They don't have water. So it's not purely baseless and thankless. And then related to that, notice in verse 13 and verse 30, God doesn't describe Israel as a complaint, which is the word he normally uses for baseless, thankless accusations in Numbers. He describes it as a quarrel. So, what's the difference between a complaint and a quarrel? Well, I think from this text we can see that a quarrel is on a real issue, whereas a complaint is not. But I also think we can see from this text that they kind of sound similar, and they can contain some of the same kinds of accusations and blame. Right? Those can cross over. Because quarreling and complaint are both forms of fighting, aren't they? And unfortunately, in a fight, you rarely speak well, especially when you're motivated by fear and doubt, as we know that Israel was here in this chapter. So in calling it a quarrel, it seems to me that God is recognizing that Israel but he's also telling us that the way that they expressed their point was sort of unhelpful at best and sinful at worst. Which is why <clears throat> quarreling and complaining are not always so easy to tell apart. But the text clearly make that distinction. And that's why one of the main things we're called to see here is the way that Jesus himself is a sensitive listener. When Jesus, the people, he hears a quarrel. Their point is expressed very poorly, but it's not, right? He tells us there is no water. <clears throat> which brings us to our second point then, which is God's response. So before we look at God's response, just notice that Moses and Aaron, Aaron go straight to the tent of meeting. Uh, 
which is different than it usually happens in numbers. Normally in numbers, in situations like this, God summons them to the tent of meeting. Or they have to God bring some kind of judgment that they need to go to the tent and ask mercy for. And I point that out because none of those things have happened here. And just to sort of get ahead of myself for a second, I think we can envision Moses and Aaron storming off to the tent of meeting because they exist to already be there and to be as angry as they are. I think it's our first clue that while God has listened sensitively to the people, Moses and Aaron haven't yet. But thankfully, Jesus does listen sensitively, and he responds with this really gracious, sort of simple solution. As again, take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Now, I want to point out just a few things about God's answer here. First, there's really no Jesus being frustrated or angry or anything like that, right? The text doesn't tell us that God is angry or mad. Instead, you just see our God just the issue. Let's get some people some water. And related to that, I want you to notice that uh, Jesus doesn't address the very Israel talk to him. And that's not because he never takes the time to help us think about the way that we talk to him. Right? Proverbs considering is a great example of that. But here, Jesus decides that the direct approach is not the most helpful approach. This I don't know. I think it's worth reflecting on. I think it's worth praying about. But clearly, Jesus doesn't take the direct approach. What Jesus does use is an indirect approach. Very loaded images that connect to past important moments in God and Israel's relationship together. The staff that Moses used to Egypt and part the waters. Right, Water from the rock when they first get into the wilderness, reminding how God first gave them water. Uh, maybe speaking here to remind Israel of God's spoken promises. Uh, maybe it's just a way of communicating gently. Right? It's certainly more gent- gentle than Moses' things with sticks. Right? Um, but whatever speaking represents exactly, certainly we can see that at the very least, Jesus wants them to be visibly with his continual love and care. And I'm inclined to see that response as a gentle way to encourage a different kind of speech the next time Israel faces a legitimate problem. Kind of like, you know, it's a God's visible reminder telling Israel, you don't need to get all blamey when you have a legitimate problem. Just, just ask, right? God is love. And before moving on to our last point, I also want to add this. When dealing with people in the Bible, God always takes into account our circumstances, the reasonableness and legitimacy used, our history and our future. And with all of that, he always crafts a response that, that meets those issues in such a way that he can provoke change in spiritual response and growth. And you can see that in the many different ways that Jesus deals with people in the gospel. Every encounter Jesus has, there's a different kind of tack, which means for God, and this is super important, especially for leadership, who are parents and grandparents, listen to this, for God, not every problem is a nail that just needs the right-sized hammer. I speak to myself. Um, 
And I say that also because if you and I are going to be spiritually sensitive listeners who present the holiness of God well, we need to learn to use the same kind of approach. Sometimes the best response is to ignore an issue, it's to address it head on. Sometimes indirectly addressing it is best. Sometimes we need to be very gentle, at other times very firm and And you're asking, how do we learn to do that? Well, the way that we learn and develop that kind of sensitive listening, sensitive listening is to have as much of the Bible in our hearts and minds as possible. The more we furnish our minds and our emotions and our hearts with a wide variety of God's word, the more our responses can be tailored by the Holy Spirit as he uses kind of all of those tools God has built into our lives to tailor our response to the situation and the person as necessary. And then the more our response will act with what Jesus is doing in their lives. And by the way, if you want a book that can be very helpful for that, Proverbs is excellent. The Gospel of Mark is really helpful because it's short and pithy. Okay, so that said, um, about God's response, you can clearly see that Moses didn't like God's response, did he? And we can see that by what happens in verses 9 and 10. So just to read those again. And Moses took the staff of the Lord as he commanded him. But then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. Okay, so if Jesus' approach here is to foster a holy relationship through gentleness action, Moses wants to take a different approach. And now, uh, rather than spending a lot of time talking about Moses did wrong, which is pretty sort of self-evident, he did that God commanded him was take the staff, and everything else sort of went downhill from there. I actually think our time is better spent uh, asking what happened between the time God gave Moses his command and what Moses actually did. Because I think that opens up the space in our lives between when we hear what God commands us in the word and then what we actually do <laughs> with the people we are living with, right? Uh, and I think the text lends itself to a number of abilities. I don't think either any of these are definitive. I actually think that the point is sort of to have kind of a, a limited but also, you know, non-definitive read. And I th- because I think that's intentional. I think Jesus has a way of writing the Bible that connects his word to the huge variety of our human experience with him in this life. Uh, So in light of my suggestion then first, uh, that Moses and Aaron stormed off to the tent, one thing that could have happened is that Moses read his own anger into God's response. So this could be an example of Moses not listening to people or to Jesus. And I know that I personally have been guilty of that kind of response in the past. I've responded to people out of my own sense of what justice must look like and how angry God must be because I'm angry and God must be angry and we're angry together and I'm going to show you God's anger without actually taking a break and praying and looking at the Bible and listening to what God's response really is, which maybe was like my own, but a lot of times was not. So that's one option. Another option, maybe Moses decided that God's response here was just wrong. 
And I've seen that in my own life and in other lives too, right? Someone does something wrong and we're tired and we hear God declare grace for them or we hear God call us to once again from our spiritual well, the self-control necessary to be kind and we say, no, not this time, not for them, not again. All right, sensitive listening because it's part of holiness, means recognizing that sometimes God is going to say things to us that we do not want to be true. Which is why part of sensitive listening is cultivating a soft heart, to use God's word. A soft heart that responds to his word even when it challenges our instinctive responses and our desires. Because a heart of stone, to use God's other word, right, is a heart that is insensitive. It doesn't listen to God's word. God's word cannot penetrate it. Whereas a soft heart or a heart of flesh listens even when it's difficult. And I wonder here if maybe Moses hardened his heart slightly in response to what God said. And then for this morning, there's one more option. And that is maybe Moses had every intention to obey and do what God said. Maybe he heard what God said and was like, okay, we're going to do this. But when he had all the people gathered in front of him and all the history of his difficult life with them was lying on his shoulders and he was facing that burden of leadership, which means doing things yourself in ways that you don't always want to do and in ways that you don't always want to present yourself. And maybe also with the death of his sister, Wang, being tired and so limited in self-control with all that fatigue, maybe he just erupted. That happens too, doesn't it? Which would mean then that maybe Moses was no longer in a place to be a consistently sensitive. Not because he didn't love God or the people, but that he just no longer had the emotional and spiritual reserves necessary to lead consistently and to stop himself from reacting and treating everybody as if they were a problem nail that just needed the right size hammer or maybe an ever increasingly, right? And I say that because those three possibilities I think fit really well with God's response in verses 12 to 13. So it says, <clears throat> And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and he showed himself holy. So notice that the word holy gets repeated a few times in this passage. In verse 12, Jesus tells Moses, you didn't uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people. And in verse 13, we're told that through these waters, God showed himself to be holy. And what's interesting about God's response uh, excuse me, what God, about God's charge in verse 12 is that the text doesn't give us any indication that Israel knew what God had told Moses to do. So when God makes his claim, it seems unlikely means that Moses encouraged the people to be insubordinate or anything like that because there's no indication that Israel knew that God had not told Moses to do exactly what he did. So I don't think God here is saying you're you failed to be a good example. What does he mean? Well, again, for those who've worshipped here with us for a while, you've probably gotten used to or maybe even tired of me saying 
uh, like I did at the beginning, that holiness is about relationships. Holiness that describes how God lives with us. Which means that for us to be holy, that means that you are relating to yourself and to your neighbor and to all of creation and to our triune God in a way that is similar to how God lives himself. So what I think God is saying is that Moses didn't uphold the way that Jesus wanted to express his relationship with his people. Moses' actions did not encourage them that Jesus can distinguish legitimate concerns from poor delivery and encourage them that he can respond with grace and kindness even if you ask in a sinful way. See, Moses was a poor ambassador for God's relational grace, instance. And in that light, in verse 13, when Jesus said that he showed himself to be holy, I think we can, there's a few ways that God displays here at Meribah. The first is, I think Jesus shows that he cares how he is represented, right? Jesus is not going to let himself be continually poorly represented to his people. But second, and related to that, I think that Jesus shows that he's not going to punish the listeners because he was represented poorly, right? Jesus doesn't say to the people who have, well, I was going to give you some water, but if I did that, I would be rewarding Moses' bad behavior. So I'm sorry, you know, no water to Moses try again tomorrow. Um, no, for Jesus, holiness means you take care of the people you love. So despite poor representation, Jesus cares for his people. He gives them water. And third, and maybe this is somewhat counterintuitive, I think, I think it's true though, I think that Jesus shows himself holy to Moses in at least two ways. One thing that Jesus does is he protects Moses' relationship with his people. Did you notice that? Because Moses didn't obey what God said. God could have come to Moses and said, that's not what I said, here's what I said, and then done it. That's not what he does. He doesn't allow Moses to be humiliated by a public rebuke or by not bringing water from the rock. And in that, I think you can probably see that Jesus is recognizing decades and decades and decades, right? 40 years in the wilderness, plus all the years when he was in exile from Egypt. All those years of faithful service in the worst kinds of situations, Jesus is going to say, I'm not going to simply throw that away because you finally broke into pressure, because you had a really bad day, because you sinned. I think you see Jesus showing faithful kindness to his faithful servant. And the second Jesus shows his holiness in his relationship with Moses is that he basically tells Moses it's time to retire. Uh, and I see this retirement based on the fact that God does not say that Moses failed to listen to my voice or disobeyed my voice or any of the usual phrases that he uses for disobedience in Numbers or the rest of the sort of first five books of the Bible. And he, instead he says, you didn't up as holy. God focuses, you see, on the way that Moses mediates his relationship with his people. And while for a long time, God forbidding Moses to enter the promised land was like, sort of like a curse, I now think that while it's definitely a judgment, I think it's actually a judgment that's motivated by grace because Moses here is clearly done, Right? His ability to lead consistently in a way that represents God and listens to the people is very much in jeopardy. 
And while it's extremely sad that Moses could not finish his task, at the same time, much more tragic would it have been for Israel to be led by someone who no longer had the emotional and spiritual strength to lead well. Or more personally for Moses, how tragic would it have been of God to allow Moses to ride out his career in an ever-worsening decline? Love to me. I think the point is, God's point is here, Moses is no longer in a place where he can consistently lead as an effective ambassador of Jesus' holiness because he's not able to listen sensitively, consistently anymore. Which brings me to my last point, which is what went wrong. And I'm proud of myself. This point is more pithily titled. The original title was, What Problems Does Jesus Want Us to Be Aware of? Ability to be effective ambassadors of the gospel. See, you would still be writing that point down if I had given that to you. I'm going to end with two. The first is this. In tragedy and trial, sensitive listening is hard. That This happened to Moses after his sister died, right? One of his best friends and closest confidants, right? We considered that a little bit last Sunday. That this happened after is not a coincidence. That's not just like, a detail God threw in there because, hey, you know, you should know that she died. That's not the point. It's the context for what happened. And here we are in our own trial. Some of us have our own tragedies. And in that context, we all have relationships that call us to listen sensitively to our family and friends and coworkers and neighbors and then to respond sensitively with God's love. And since tragedies make that harder... We therefore need to be more intentional in slowing down our response, right? We don't want to just rush off to the tent of meeting, right? Uh, We need to intentionally slow down our response and pray and search the Bible, ideas about how Jesus actually wants us to respond and maybe even also uh, reach out to trusted friends who can speak a word of grace into our lives that we might need. But that said, let's also be honest, when you're in trial and facing tragedy, slowing down your response is super hard, right? And because that's the case, you need to plan ahead. You need to tell yourself, I'm in a rough place, be honest, I'm in a rough place to be a good ambassador for Jesus. So when I feel myself about to snap, snap out a response, hammer, bang, right? I'm going to excuse myself. Or I'm going to put a movie on for the kids or whatever, right? So I can get some space. So I can have critical distance to pray first and think first and read first and get counsel first before I start with sticks in the name of Jesus. And then the second thing I think we need to see from this is that for church leaders, we can reach a point where we faced one trial too many where we've borne one burden too much, and where we're able to consistently listen well or respond well, and when that happens, we need to graciously step aside. And I'm not saying to do that, uh, or because I think any of our elders need to do that. I don't, I don't think that at all. I'm saying it because it needs to be said. I think it's an important part of a text, right? This is God taking leader of his people and saying, you've reached sort of the end of your road in leadership. It's time for some new people to step in. That's Joshua in the next few chapters. And we also need to be aware 
that our ability to lead in holiness can be compromised by the burdens we've borne for years. I think there's this fiction in church that as long as you pray hard enough, God will make it so you can bear as many burdens as you did, you know, when you were 40 years old, emotionally stronger, and like not bearing any of the scars that you've worn in life because God will just hold you until you die and you can keel over in the pulpit. You know, it's going to be great. People have seasons. There are seasons in life. And it's an important part of be- recognizing our life and that you, you do wear scars. You do have impact from burdens over time that affect what you can and can't do. And that's okay. Because while stepping aside may be sad, it's actually a protection that Jesus gives us. So that we're not consumed by a task that only Jesus can do joyfully forever and rule without end. Amen. Right? And also, Jesus wants to protect his people and make sure that they have, like, ambassadorly representing his holiness well. It's okay to recognize human limitation. That's one of the things I think we can see from this. And that, that's not bad. God recognizes it and he provides ways to move us from one stage to another in his loving faithfulness to his people who have been faithful. So let's end with this. Uh, Let's recognize that we are all in a place of spiritual and emotional and mental fatigue. And so let's commit our sister's name to intentionally pursue sensitive listening so that we can uphold the holiness of God to those who are around us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to be good ambassadors of Jesus. So please help us to listen well uh, with sensitivity to those who are around us. And please help help us to listen well with sensitivity to you through your word uh, so that we can respond in a way that looks like you, in ways that deepen repentance, strengthen faith, and build up love. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.